everyone. Hi, my name is Matt. It's great to be with, with you all. Uh, we are in a series, if you've been here the last few weeks, uh, we're talking about trusting God, uh, especially in those circumstances where there's fear or anxiety or disappointment or we find ourselves saying, I'm not sure I know how to handle this. Or we wonder, does God see what I'm going through? Does he care about uh, me at all? Uh, is he paying attention? And we've looked the last few weeks at the Psalms. We looked at a proverb and some of what they have to say about trust. And today, I want to wrestle with kind of a, a difficult teaching of Jesus. It's a little bit disturbing. It's a little bit unsettling. It's one of those passages that would be a lot easier to just skip, uh, to be honest. So we're going to look at what he says uh, because I think he has something here to teach us about what it means to trust God. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Uh, the context here, Jesus in Matthew 10 is sending the disciples, the 12, out basically on a mission. And he has something he wants to say to them. He starts out in the first few verses by giving them kind of some instructions, where to go, what to do, what to say. Uh, he gives them cues about how they can know it's probably time for them to leave. He even gives them a packing list. And it's basically, if you can't fit it in like your fanny pack, don't, you don't need it. Uh, and he's sending them out and he's essentially trusting them with this really important work on his behalf to represent him. And it's all very exciting for the disciples. They're like, yeah, a road trip? Come on, let's go. But before they go out, as Jesus is talking, they notice something in his voice, something in his tone changes. And he starts warning them about things that they can actually expect to happen to them as, the, as they go on this mission. He just says, heads up, I just want to let you know up front, this is not going to be like a walk in the park. So he doesn't want them to be surprised then when they run into trouble as they're traveling around sharing uh, this message. And this is where it starts to get a little fuzzy. You begin to get this sense that Jesus isn't just warning them about stuff that's going to happen immediately, like in the next few weeks. That he's also perhaps looking into the more distant future. He's looking farther ahead, maybe the years or even decades to come. It's like Jesus knows that the obstacles they face on this mission are really just the beginning. They're really just kind of representative of what's to come further down the road. And so he's warning them the trouble up, up ahead is a hint, a taste of probably what's going to happen later on. In some ways, I'm kind of wondering now if that's not the whole point of him sending them out to try to actually prepare them for, for later in life. Now, before we read... Here's the good news. What he warns them will happen to them. Probably, probably won't happen to you. So don't let this scare you off, okay? Uh, so we're just listening to a conversation. It's a little bit one-sided because Jesus does all the talking. Uh, but it's not hard to imagine what the disciples must have been thinking or feeling as this kind of, as they let this sink in. So let's look at what he says, because there's something here I think Jesus wants to teach us about what it looks like to trust him. Matthew 10, verse 16, he says to them, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. 
Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. And they're like, whoa, hold up. This sounds like there's going to be some conflict up ahead. Also, I'm sorry, Jesus, but when you say handed over, do you mean that like as in arrested? Again, Jesus is somehow looking into the future and telling them what he sees. And sure enough, just like everything else Jesus predicted, uh, later on in the book of Acts, all this stuff happens. All this happens in the years and the decades to come. The problem is they're not expecting any of this to happen now. Because at this moment, this is still early on, they're incredibly popular. There are hundreds, if not thousands of people everywhere Jesus goes. And the way it works is the closer you are to Jesus, the more popular you are. And so their status has gone way up because of being associated. We're with him, right? So they've just been enjoying the benefits up till now. And suddenly Jesus is saying, don't get too comfortable because all this is going to change. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be flogged in the synagogue. Like, flogged in the synagogue? Yeah. It's like, Jesus, people sometimes die from this, you realize. Like, this is like, we're talking permanent marks. He goes on. On my account, because of me, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. And again, this happened uh, later on. What they couldn't have understood at this time when Jesus says this is that they were going to be his witnesses. They were going to witness to more than just what Jesus said or taught. They were actually going to be witnesses of what he did. That their message was going to be, we watched him die. And then we saw him rise. We saw the risen Jesus. But they don't know that yet. This hasn't happened at this point. And when Jesus first tells them this, he actually, in one of the first few verses, says, I want you to focus primarily on being my witnesses to the Jews only. But then later on, he comes back to this after the resurrection. Before he ascends, he says in Acts 1.8, you're going to be my witnesses also to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth, which is like everybody. But back here to Jesus' earlier prediction. Uh, check this out, verse 19. But when they arrest you. Now, I'm guessing if you're the disciples. Put yourself in their shoes for a minute. I'm guessing they notice Jesus doesn't say here, if. That's going to stand out, right? Uh, I mean, now you're nervous. What do you mean, when we're arrested? Like, hang on. I thought we were part of a movement. I thought the kingdom of God was coming. I mean, Jesus, you are so popular. What do you mean when we're arrested? It says, when, you, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. Now, I don't know what they were thinking, but I can tell you what I would be thinking, and I'd be thinking this. I am not worried about what to say or how to say it. Who cares about that? I'm worried about this part right here, the part where I'm under arrest. He says, yeah, when you're arrested, don't worry about what to say. Jesus, what we say in that moment is going to be the least of our worries. What are you getting at anyway? I mean, honestly, Jesus, you're kind of freaking us out. Jesus perhaps sees the look on their faces and tries to reassure them with some good news. 
He says, at that time, you will be given what to say. What I want to be given in this moment is not just words. What I want to be given is basically one of these things. (laughs) Get me out of here. Jesus, you didn't tell us about this part. And we all wanted to be in the inner circle. I mean, you said, who wants to be in the inner circle? We all raised our hands. And we said, you know, we're so excited. And now you're telling us we're going to be arrested and flogged. I mean, you do remember that we got in on this at like the ground floor before you were anybody. And now this? Like, where's our reward? At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And they just got to be thinking, this is a lot to take in. We're going to be arrested, flogged, put on trial. And Jesus, you're telling us that in the middle of the trial, God is suddenly going to decide to be involved. Well, like, where's he at with everything kind of leading up to this point? I mean, if God knows I'm arrested, he knows I'm going to be flogged, If he's involved enough to give me the words to say, then my question is, why doesn't God just get me unarrested? Or even better, why doesn't God, who knows all of this is going to happen, just prevent me from being arrested in the first place? Can you imagine the questions that this would have raised for them? And Jesus doesn't offer any further comfort or really clarification. Instead, He actually has more bad news. Verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death and to father his child. Like people who are following Jesus are going to be turned in by their own family members. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Again, all of this ends up happening later. And then Jesus kind of offers this summary. Uh, Verse 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me. And he just goes on and on and on. It's like, okay, well, sign me up. It's confusing. Again, they're probably thinking, how can this be? Jesus, everyone loves you. Because everyone loves you, everyone loves us. And Jesus says, yeah, well, hang on. Hang on, because the tide is eventually going to turn. And you're going to be hated. And you can blame me for that. How's that for a pep talk? How's that for a motivational speech? Like, why? This doesn't make sense. Why are we even doing any of this then? Um, Just as as an aside, I would say Jesus has to be the worst salesperson ever. I mean, you realize he doesn't try to kind of manipulate them with all this hype. Uh, he doesn't focus on all the good stuff and then kind of forget to mention the fine print. Uh, no, he simply says, here are all the reasons up front why you perhaps should just walk away now while you can. Uh, this, of course, would be, all of this would be hard to hear. But for me, one of the things this does is this makes Jesus actually more trustworthy, not less. No false promises. No bait and switch. He's certainly not using these guys for his own gain. No, Jesus loves them enough 
to tell him the truth, even when it might cost him followers. Uh, he actually says to them another time, look, I know this is really, really difficult. Are you going to stick with me or not? I just find that kind of refreshing. Uh, in a world where you are constantly being told the things that you want to hear, when we're constantly being sold on stuff and overpromise and don't look over here, but look over here. In a world where people will do and say pretty much anything to get what they want from us. Jesus does the exact opposite. He loves us enough to tell us the truth, even if we don't like it. To me, that sounds like a person that, that you and I can actually trust. He gets to the end. He, he brings it all down to the thing he wants, wants them and us to see. He says to his disciples in verse 28, do not be afraid. Wait, we're going to be arrested. I know. And when you're arrested, don't be afraid. But Jesus, you said that we are going to be beaten and flogged. Yeah, and when you're beaten and flogged, don't be afraid. You just told us, Jesus, we're going to go on trial for our lives. Everyone is going to turn against us. Even our own family will betray us. And you're saying not to be afraid. And Jesus is like, can I please finish the sentence? Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So after all of these warnings that seem to get worse and worse, Jesus lands on their worst fear, death. He essentially says, don't worry about being killed because there are some things that are far worse than death. Which again, I would not put that in the category of things that are necessarily comforting or helpful to hear. Jesus, what about all the health and wealth that you promised us? Jesus, we happen to know that dying is like super bad for our health. <laughs> Jesus never promised anyone health or wealth. Jesus, I can maybe handle the getting arrested part because you're going to be with me and it sounds like there's a chance it might work out in the end. So who knows, maybe in my heart and mind, I could get to a place in the future where I'm not afraid of that. But death, that's pretty final. Death is more than what I or anyone can handle. Jesus, what about the verse in the Bible that says God won't give you more than you can handle? That's not in the Bible. It doesn't actually say that anywhere. So Jesus, how can you say not to be afraid of things that we can't handle? We can't do anything about. And all this bad stuff. And apparently, you see it all. You know it's going to happen. And yet you sit back and do nothing. You let it happen. And Jesus, I, we don't understand. Are you sure? I mean, I thought you loved us. I thought you cared about us. Why would you let this happen? We gave up everything to follow you. This is what we get in return. It doesn't make any sense, does it? And Jesus says, in spite of all of that, will you continue to trust me? Now, of course, the immediate context for this, of Jesus saying, don't be afraid, the immediate context is he's talking to the disciples about the persecution, suffering, death 
that they can expect as a result of following, trusting, obeying Jesus. And that's hard for us to relate to, isn't it, at, at this level? I doubt that anyone here has ever experienced arrest, flogging, overt persecution, death as a result of following Jesus. That said, uh, there certainly are Christians in many places in the world who know all too well from personal experience exactly what Jesus is describing here. It's also true that we don't know what's going to happen to any of us down the road. So my question is, is there anything in this for us in our context, in our situation as followers of Jesus today? For those of us who are trying to obey Jesus and follow him with the lives that we've been given, with the circumstances that we're faced with, we want to trust God in whatever life brings our way. I mean, how can we learn to do that? What can we take from all this? And the first thing is this, and, and this applies to all of us. You are going to face difficulty, trouble, uncertainty, disappointment. At times, some of that has to do with it comes as a result of trying to follow Jesus, trying to obey him. It may cost you something. Maybe not this. It may cost you, though, social standing or an opportunity or a promotion. Or you may feel like you're at a place where you're the only one and you're missing out. Or at times you might wonder, why am I going through all this? Is it worth it? So at times you face difficulty because you're following Jesus. Other times we face trouble. It's just the result of living in a broken, fallen world. You're going to face trouble. Anyone who tells you or promises you otherwise is lying. Jesus himself, point blank, says, in this world... You will have trouble. I think that's important because, at least for me, I know that in my head, but when it happens, I'm always surprised. It's always a big, giant surprise. I know this is how it works. I know the world that we live in, but there's something in me that kind of operates like, yeah, but if I love God, and if I try to do the right thing, then I can avoid this. Jesus says, you will have trouble. In fact, Jesus himself was not exempt from this. In many ways, he experienced the worst that the world could throw at him. Why would we think that we are going to be any different? Now, right after Jesus gives them the worst news, the bad news, right after this, he goes on and he says something that I'm just not expecting him to say at all. He all of a sudden switches gears, and he gets very, very personal. And at first, it almost sounds like he's completely changing the subject. After this bad news, the death part, he says this. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Huh? I don't know. Stay with me. In other words, can't you buy a couple of sparrows for, like, nothing? Yeah, I mean, aren't they pretty much worth not very much? Yeah, okay, that's true. What's the point? He says, yet, not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. In other words, Jesus says, 
I know when all of this goes down, you are going to be tempted to believe that you don't matter to God. You're going to be tempted to say, oh, since this is happening, God must not see me. He must not care about me. He must be uninvolved, detached, somewhere else, uninterested in what I'm going through. And Jesus says nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing escapes his care, his notice, his attention. Jesus' point is that you have infinite value or worth to God. Yeah, but what about this? Then why is this happening? You have infinite value and worth to God. What that means, again, and this is for all of us, and this is very important for us, your circumstances are not a reflection of how God feels about you. Let me say that again. Your circumstances, your trouble, your disappointment, your fears are not in any way a reflection of how God feels about you. Jesus says, don't make the mistake of confusing what's happening to you with how much you matter to God. Nothing happens to you outside the context of his care for you. See, perhaps you're here and and you've prayed about something a lot and you're not getting an answer or the answer seems to be no, like the health issue is not resolving. In fact, it's getting worse. The relationship continues in a downward spiral. The family situation keeps breaking your heart again and again. The door to that dream is like closing, 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 closed. And sometimes it happens slowly, and sometimes those doors are like slammed in our face. In these moments, it's very easy to focus on, God, why aren't you fixing this? God, are you paying attention? Why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you getting involved? What did I do to deserve this? I'm trying to live for you. I'm trying to follow you. I thought I'd get some like member benefits with that or something. Why is this happening to me? And these are all fair questions. And you can bet the disciples probably had similar questions themselves. But they're questions that more often than not, we don't get the answers to, at least not in this life. What we find is that Jesus is interested in something else. He wants to remind you of your value to God. He wants you to know your circumstances do not coincide with how God feels about you. You matter to him. There is no pain, hurt, disappointment, fear, difficulty that you or I experience that he doesn't know about. He sees what you're going through. He cares deeply, more than you can imagine. By the way, do you realize Jesus himself practiced this? He lived like this. This is why when you see Jesus going through suffering, difficulty, persecution, whatever it is, he's not like freaking out. He's not running around, oh, you know. What we find instead is Jesus is a non-anxious presence. It's why in the middle of a storm, they find him and what's he doing? Sleeping like a baby. Because he lives this way. He trusts his father's care. He knows how much God loves him. Um, And he wants you to know that too. Jesus promises, uh, in your trouble, 
He reminds us, you're not alone. Now, we don't necessarily just want him to be with us in our trouble. We want him to get us out of what we're experiencing. But by his spirit, he comes to be with us, to comfort us, to pray with and for us, to help us. Sometimes that help shows up in the form of giving us a peace, as Paul says in Philippians, that it, it, I can't even understand why I'm feeling the way this peace. Sometimes he gives us wisdom or words or direction, as in the case with the disciples here, giving them the words that they need to say at the right time. What would it be like for you to have this confidence, to be so sure of God's presence with you, his care, his love, that like the disciples, uh, we had a trust that overshadowed, that pushed out, that displaced all of our fear. See, I think where God wants to take you, where he wants to take me, is to the place where we wake up every single day and we ask the question, what would I do? What would I do in this situation if I was absolutely confident that God was with me. You're not alone. Next, Jesus shows us that God has a purpose he's wanting to accomplish in and through you. We don't always see it. We don't always have the vantage point, rarely, never, that God has. We don't always get his timing. We can't always make sense of his activity or his lack of activity. But that doesn't mean he's not at work. Look at what Paul writes in Romans. He says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And I want to say to Paul when he says, And we know, I want to say, Don't you mean, and we hope? And we hope that's the case? He says, No. I know in all things God works for good. And sometimes we can't see it, and sometimes for sure it's not what we would have picked. Imagine living with that kind of confidence. The Apostle Paul, who experienced things you will and I will never experience, says it's possible. In your trouble, in your difficulty, do you trust that God is at work first in you? Again, we're focused on circumstances. Jesus in the conversation is like, hey, let's talk about your soul. Let's talk about what's going on inside of you. And I think it's true, at least for me, and I've felt like this in the last year or so, that when we can't handle it, when we are out of options, there's something about that place of desperation that it's at least an invitation to depend on him in a way that perhaps we haven't before. It's an invitation to actually move toward him, to deepen our trust, to actually experience his goodness and his love to a depth in a way that perhaps we never have before. Do you trust that he's at work in you, in your difficulty, in your disappointment? Do you trust that he's also working through you, that he has a purpose, that he's going to somehow use that? Do you realize that in the kingdom of God, that nothing is wasted? That God can work with, God can use, God can bring good out of anything. You look, you look at the life of the Apostle Paul. If you were just to look in the back of your Bible, which we don't have because it's a different story, the maps. Look at the three missionary journeys of Paul and, and look at those lines. And guess what you'll find? 
I mean, all over the place. And Paul's constantly getting redirected and having doors shut. Like, well, I guess I'll go over here. Oh, I see why that happened. I mean, at one point, Paul literally has a shipwreck. And you notice Paul's perspective. It's, it's basically like, well, now I'm on this random island. Glad I'm alive. Thank you, God. I wonder what God might have for me here. And he meets an official of this island and shares the good news and all these things that wouldn't have happened any other way. My guess is, if there's been enough time separating your difficulty and, and now, that you can see how God's beginning to use that. You've struggled with an addiction or a loss. You've faced doubt. You've gone through divorce or disease or whatever it is. And, and the ways that God has actually used that to encourage other people, to care for other people who've come along into, into your life. Do you trust that he's at work through you? And then lastly, and most importantly, I think Jesus is saying, no matter what, no matter what happens, maintain your trust in God. Don't give up. And you're going to be tempted to give up. Again, none of us know what the future is going to bring. Henry Nouwen says, look at the many if questions we raise. Like, what am I going to do if I do not find a spouse? A house, a job, a friend, a benefactor. What am I going to do if they fire me? If I get sick, if an accident happens, if I lose my friends, if my marriage does not work out, if a war breaks out, what if tomorrow the weather is bad, the buses are on strike, or an earthquake happens? What if someone steals my money, breaks into my house, or kills me? Who knows? Maybe some of this stuff happens to us. What if Jesus is looking at this, all of this, from a completely different perspective? I think we often start with our what ifs, with the unknowns, with the fears and the anxieties that that raises. What if the dream never happens? What if I don't get into the program? What if I'm always this lonely? What if we can't have kids? What if they reject me? What if they spread lies about me? What if I lose my job? What if there's no treatment? And we take all of these what ifs and we start sorting through them according to size, according to severity. And we say, okay, well, this what if, I can, it's, it's small, I can probably handle that if it comes along. You know, this over here, that's a little bit bigger. I don't know what I'm going to do there, but I probably have the resources and the support. I could probably figure that out. This thing over here, though, boy, I sure hope that never happens. I don't know how people, I don't know how people, like, live through something like that. I don't know what I do. I don't, I don't think I could handle that. You know what Jesus does? Something a little bit, I guess, counterintuitive. Jesus starts, he goes, oh, how about this? He goes all the way over here, all the way to this end, and, and he says this. He goes right to something that, that we know for sure we can't handle, death. And he says, you're right. Hey, you're right. Your death is more than you can handle. That's why I'm not asking you to handle it. I am the resurrection and the life because you can't do that on your own. Jesus goes all the way over here and he shows us that death itself is a, a phantom, an, an illusion. It's like the, the boogeyman of little kids. When my kids were little, like I go into the room because they're freaking out because there's a big, scary shadow monster on the wall. 
And I would show them, hey, hey, no, no, look, look, it's the stuffed animal on your bed. It's projecting, it's distorting onto the wall. There's nothing to be afraid of. That's what Jesus has done with our fear of death. The author of Hebrews describes Jesus as the one who has set free all those who had, who had been held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. So Jesus could say, don't fear even death. Because he knew those who belong to him will never die. They'll never taste death, Scripture says. Now, Jesus, of course, had a fuller understanding of death than just the end of bodily functions or the ceasing of electrical impulses in the brain. Jesus understood true death as separation from the living God, the creator, the sustainer of all of life. So, yeah, a Roman cross... An executioner's knife may destroy our body. But here's his point. Our life, our true self, our soul, if we trust him, is hidden. It's safe forever with God. And so what Jesus does in in this whole thing, he starts over here with that truth. And then he's essentially asking us to work backwards from there. And if if you get this part, then how does that reframe then all these other what-ifs and anxieties and disappointments? Said another way, if you can trust God with your death, your soul, if he's trustworthy even in that, then perhaps we can trust him with our life as well. As we wait for the test results, with your difficult family dynamics, your career path, retirement, whatever worst-case scenario is keeping us up, As Jesus sends his disciples out into the world, he's trying to get them and us to see. If even the worst thing that happens, if the worst happens from our perspective, that's probably actually not the worst thing from God's perspective. The worst thing from God's perspective is that in your fear, in your panic, in your disappointment, that you would turn from your relationship with him. He says, don't give up. Don't abandon God when it gets hard. Jesus is essentially asking the disciples and us, will you maintain trust in God when it looks like things are falling apart or not going to work out like you hoped? Will you trust him enough to obey him? Even if it costs you something, will you trust him enough to put the full weight of your life on him. And so as we close, I'd just like you to take a moment and identify that area of life that you feel like you're in trouble. You are facing difficulty. You're wrestling with disappointment. This isn't how I saw my life going. Never imagined this. You have fears, you have anxieties, you look into the future and you think, boy, if, if this is what's happening now, I can't imagine you know, years from now. I want you to identify that place where at times you feel, boy, I'm not sure I can handle this. I'll give you a minute to to reflect. And I've got mine. Does everyone have something? probably all have a lot of things, right? 
I want to remind you that in that, in that difficulty, that trouble, that uncertainty, that disappointment, that fear, your circumstances are not a reflection of how God feels about you. God sees it. God cares. None of it happens outside the context of his deep, deep love and care for each one of you. You're not alone. He's with you. He wants to give you his peace. He wants to give you his comfort. At times, uh, direction, next steps. God has a purpose. Even in that, and I know you just thought of 50 questions. How could that be? And I, I don't know. I don't have the answers. But God has something that he wants to accomplish in you. Perhaps he can't accomplish any other way. He has something he wants to use that to accomplish in you and perhaps through you. He has a purpose. And the invitation before you is to maintain your trust. To not give up. So what does it mean to trust God in that difficulty, in that circumstance? Is there anything he's asking you to do? Is there anything he's asking you not to do? I'm going to end with this. Dallas Willard observed that once we embrace the reality of God's love and his care for us, his concern for us, we come to see that this present world is a perfectly safe place for us to be. Outside of Jesus and everything we've just talked about, that is the most ridiculous thing you could possibly say, right? We come to see this world, God with us. Nothing happens outside of his care. He has a plan. He has a purpose. Not even death gets the last word. Oh, I see. My life is hidden, safe, in Christ, hidden with God, Scripture says. Untouchable forever. It doesn't mean that things will go like we expect, that we won't be hurt or disappointed or that we're somehow exempt from harm and danger. Ask Jesus about all of that. It does mean that not even death gets the last word. It does mean that if we could come to see life the way that God sees it more and more, we'd realize that placing our trust in him is actually the only reasonable thing to do. It's actually, it turns out, the only thing that makes sense. Would you stand with me and we'll pray? Um, Heavenly Father, we, we bring before you now um, the troubles, the difficulties, the disappointments that all of us uh, carry. The moments when we, we lay in bed at night and we think, oh, this is more than I can handle. The what ifs, all of that. God, help us to, to know, not just in our heads, but to, to believe in our hearts, to really know um, 
that nothing happens to us that you don't see. There's nothing we can go through um, that escapes your notice and your care. That you love us, you value us deeply. May we find some comfort in that. Lord, help us to remember and to see that you are with us, to be open to that, and that's sometimes hard to see when we're freaking out. God, help us to to be open to your plan, to what you want to accomplish in and through us. Sometimes that means we have to wait to do nothing when we're tempted to react. Help us to know what you're asking us to do. And Father, help us above all to maintain our trust in you, to place the whole weight of our lives on who you are, what you've done, what you promised to do. Thank you that not even death gets the last word. And boy, if we're set free from that fear, well, what else is there to be afraid of? What can separate us then from your love and your purpose in our lives? Father, all of this is much easier to say than to do. So give us the strength, the courage to follow you, even if it costs us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, go in peace, have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next week as we wrap up this series.